Our Father and our God, we are so often too hard-hearted to show compassion for the people you created. We judge them based not as you see them, but as we see them. Soften the hardness to love those who are unlovable. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts and minds be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and Redeemer. Amen. The first verses of our narrative, which Scott just read, has Jesus standing among sinners and tax collectors who are gathering to hear what he has to say. And then over on the side, we have the Pharisees and the scribes who are grumbling and complaining about who Jesus is hanging out with. And as often is the case, Jesus speaks to them in parables. And he, sa- and he says to them things that they don't quite understand. Now, if this parable were made into a movie, I think it would have three different perspectives that the director would use and aim his camera at. The first one would be of the son. This son wants to get his inheritance. He's tired of the life he's living. He wants to get out of town and live the good life. And so he develops a scheme in which he can get his inheritance out of his father. This is a scandalous thing to that generation. But he only saw the upside of what he wanted to do. He couldn't see the hurt that this caused his father. He couldn't see the pained expression on his face. At this point, the camera would pan off to the side, and we would see the villagers. And they'd be shaking their heads, and they'd just be amazed at how much this son had insulted his father. But the father gives in to the son. And so they'd also be saying, this is such an undignified thing to do. And then they would heap scorn down on their heads, on that whole family. And next we would see the son leading the livestock and the cattle and carrying the goods into the village. Because it's not like today where if you wanted to cash in your savings, you would go and you know, turn in your 401k or cash in a life insurance policy. Here you got it in goods. And the villagers weren't about to touch this stuff. This was tainted. And so he would have to go around and find some unscrupulous merchant who would buy it for him for pennies on the denarius. Just so he could liquidate his inheritance. The next scene we see the boy leaving the village and the camera just watches him go off. The villagers are there again, wagging their fingers, bidding him good riddance. And then we cut to a scene of the father whose heart is breaking as his son wanders off. The director would then show a montage. And it would show the sun shining and the boy in the new land and he's meeting new friends and going to parties and picnics, just having a grand old time. But on the horizon, we see storm clouds coming. And as the scene progresses, the parties become more infrequent. We notice that he's skipping meals. And then when the clouds arrive, it's dark. The newfound friends are gone. And we find him 
begging for a job feeding the pigs, which was as low as a Jew could get. But then we see a glimmer of hope in his eye. He says, my father's yard hands have plenty of food. What if I go back? And so he starts thinking about this and he rehearses his speech over and over again on his way home. Then the director cuts to a clip of the father. And we see him sitting by the window and just watching. Day after day, the same thing. Watching down the road that carried his son away. And then one day, something catches his attention. He jumps up, pulls his robe up around his waist and ties it off. And we see him running down the road. And we cut to another scene of the villagers just wagging their heads. This undignified manner in which this old man is acting. But they're trying to figure out why, and they can't see it. And next we see a shot of the son's face. And all of a sudden, he notices his his father, and he tries to get out his, his prepared speech. But he can't. He gets the first part out, but the father is hugging him and kissing him and lavishing love on him. And jumping up and down and sending the servants off to prepare a banquet. And the boy just doesn't know what's going on. He can't figure that out. Then we see scenes of a party being prepared. The villagers are invited. Everything's going on. And the scene cuts again to the third perspective. The perspective of the son, the older son. He's coming in from the fields. His workday is done. And he starts to hear music, and he sees people milling around. And he's wondering what's going on, and he calls a servant over. The servant explains to him the joyous event that his lost brother has come home. And his face darkens. And then we see him coming farther, and he's talking with his friends, and he's gesturing angrily, and he gets near the house, and all of a sudden the father comes out. And what the father does is say, come on in. Your, son's, your brother's home, share in our happiness. But the boy will have nothing of that. He lashes out at the father. And again, the people are looking. At this point, the music begins to fade, maybe a discordant note, and it gets quiet. The villagers are waiting For the father just to throttle that older son. But they're disappointed again. Because all the father shows is mercy. I picture this scene with a momentary point of doubt on the face of the older brother. But then it dissolves into a steely resolve of pride. The father just wants him to share in his happiness. The camera hangs on this scene for a seemingly endless time. Then it fades to a picture of Jesus. And we see the sinners and the tax collectors with a look of shame on their face. But then as they start to understand what the first part of the parable is about, their, their faces light up. They found favor with God, but they don't know how. 
Then we see the Pharisees, and they're confused. And the director takes a picture of what must be going on in their minds. They're playing the scene over again, only they're putting different faces on it. In the, for the younger brother, they see the face of the most egregious sinner that there is. On the father, they see Jesus' face. And then it slowly realizes, or they, they slowly realize that the villagers and the older son is them. Jesus had gotten them again. They thought that they were good. They followed the laws that were put out there. But it was just that goodness that got them in trouble. They figured that God would would reward them because of that goodness. But when he didn't, they were still focusing on the people that were hanging around Jesus. How often have we had that attitude? It's easier for us to talk to people and hang around with people who believe the same things that we do. It's easier for us as pastors and seminarians to visit a member or a neighbor than it is to visit someone who's an agnostic. It's intellectually easier and sometimes more satisfying to discuss the nuances of theology with those who agree with us or those who will have an intellectual argument at that point. Or we would rather question a fellow pastor about his ministry and how he's doing things. Or have the argument over whether we should have contemporary worship or traditional worship or something in between. We'd rather do these than to explain the simple Christian message to someone who has tough questions and then answer them for her. When we visit a church member in the hospital, do we include the roommate or the nurse with us in our prayers? Or when we go to a restaurant, do we invite the waitress to pray with us? When we're standing at the back of church on a Sunday morning and everyone's coming through and telling us what a great sermon that was. Or they tell us, Vicar, we're really going to miss you when you leave. Or Pastor, we're truly blessed to have you. What are the thoughts going through your mind? Pretty soon we start thinking, we're pretty good. That's good stuff. I like that. God's rewarding me because I'm good. But it's at that very moment when the message of this parable hits us right between the eyes. It has nothing to do with our goodness. It only has to do with the goodness of the Father. The goodness of Jesus, who came to us when we were dead. We're humbled by the magnitude of God's love and compassion. A God who so freely gives and forgives. Jesus died and rose again to redeem not just us and not just us or those that we deem to be good. 
This parable shows us the unending love of God who will shame himself in the eyes of the world to reach both the unworthy and those who seemingly think they're worthy. He desires to lavish his, his unbelievable love on both those who are obviously undeserving and those who feel comfortable in their own righteousness. That's a concept that makes no sense at all to us. But listen to the words of St. Paul from 1 Corinthians 1. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. May the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.